Amen. How many of you stayed up until midnight on New Year's Eve? It's probably better to ask, how many of you didn't stay up until midnight on New Year's Eve? (laughs) We did this year for the first time in probably like five, six years. I I can't believe it. We actually did. I was thinking about when I started in ministry, I was in a church not too far from here in Lurgan, and we used to have a watch night service that I used to do every year at midnight on New Year's Eve. I mean, that that was such a joy. And... uh, I, I, I mean, I don't know how I did it. Quite honestly, if it was now, they'd have to move it to 7.30. Um, because for me, uh, nine is a new midnight. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I would never make it right through. Uh, I would be uh, resting in the Lord at the front of the church if we were to have a watch night service now. But we did manage actually to do that this year. And at New Year Sunday, first Sunday of New Year, I always kind of feel like I have to give a bit of a pep talk to help you all fall in love with Jesus for the next 365 days. You know, I've kind of got to be Mr. Motivator here um, and, and and get you to get all excited about the new year. And, and yet, it's, let's be honest, as we enter 2022, it's a wee bit hard to get excited right now. I mean, we were kind of excited this time last year, weren't we? Remember how glad we were to leave 2020 behind? And this last year's just been a real bundle of joy, hasn't it? I mean, this last year has just exceeded all my dreams and hopes and expectations. I'm getting pastier by the month here, okay? So, I, you know, I'm not going to get too enthused as much as I might try to because the reality is between the clock strike and 11.59 and midnight on New Year's Eve, not much changes. It's a new year, but it's the same old me. I woke up with the same wife. I had the same son on his iPad. Lucky me. Lucky me. I was just going to say that. Lucky me. I woke up with the same dog downstairs. I was hoping that might change. Um, I woke up with the same job. I woke up with the same... You know, everything was the same. Not much changes. It's a new year, but it's the same you. But what else is the same as this? God is faithful. God is good. I am saved by grace. I am a child of God. I am deeply loved by the creator of the universe. And I am so glad that no matter whether it's 2020, 2021, 2022, or 2050, that is the truth. And because of that, yes, I can have expectation. And I can have confidence. And I can have hopes. And I can have dreams. And I can have plans. And some of you have maybe set resolutions and some of you have maybe set goals and plans for the new year. And I think that's a really good thing to do. But here's what we always need to remember. There's a verse in Proverbs that says this, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord directs their steps. It doesn't say there's anything wrong with planning or having goals or having New Year's resolutions that you've already broken. But in their hearts, we plan our course but the Lord directs our steps. And here's what I have found out in life, that most of the significant moments in my life have not been planned. I've stumbled into them. Most of the most significant, transitional, life-changing moments that have happened in my life, I didn't plan in advance. I had my plans, but the Lord directed my steps differently. I was thinking about how I ended up up here doing this. I was thinking about how one uh, week when I was 16 in Portadown College, a speaker dropped out of speaking in SU. And I don't know what came over me that week because I used to get so nervous about it. I said, I'll speak on Tuesday. 
And here I am 30 years later still speaking up here. But it wasn't planned. It wasn't some big plan of mine. I was thinking about how when I was at university I had planned to, like everyone else, I did a degree in communication, advertising and marketing and to go and get a job straight after that. And I was in a cafeteria one day in Jordanstown and somebody mentioned a graduate course and and I applied for it and I ended up spending almost two years in, in Cleveland, Ohio in America. And I hadn't planned. That wasn't in my plan. I kind of stumbled into it. But those two years changed my life. I was thinking about how one Sunday a friend of mine brought his, the girl he was dating, he had just started dating down to hear me in Lurgan, down to hear me preach. And I was distracted the whole way through the service by this girl in her white jeans and her curly blonde hair. And I how was I to know that a year later I would be engaged to that same girl? It wasn't in my plan. And I'm still married to her. But I kind of stumbled into it. I had my plans, but the Lord was directing my steps. I didn't know that when Becky and I drove up in May 2015 to lead a church weekend on a little church in the country two or three miles from here with a bunch of people that we didn't know, We had no idea that when we took that church weekend that the people on that church weekend would become the nucleus of this church and the two years later later we would lead this church and we're now in the fifth year of leading this church. You see, we have our plans, but the Lord directs our steps. And most of the significant moments in my life haven't been planned. I've stumbled into them, but I haven't stumbled because God has led me into them. And that's what we're going to see in the life of David here. We're going to see that David was someone who... The Lord had spoken to and he had plans, but the Lord was ordering his steps. I had a whole different message prepared for today. And this whole message on new wine and new wineskins from Mark chapter 2. But then on Thursday, God began to speak to me about this from the life of David. And to be quite honest, I didn't really want to preach on it. Because David and Goliath, woohoo, we all know the story. We can switch off now. And that is kind of how I felt. And yet maybe that was the point I felt there were some foundational things, some fundamental things, some basics that God wants us to take into 2022. Because we don't know what the year holds, but there are some things that we need to bring with us no matter what lies ahead. Like when you're packing to go away somewhere on a a journey. You pack some things depending on where you're going And why you're there, if you're going on a business trip, you pack differently to a holiday and you pack differently if it's going to be hot or cold. But no matter where you go, there's some essentials you always bring with you. Your toothbrush, clean underwear, always a good thing. There are some things that you bring with you everywhere you go because they're essentials. And I have some essentials. I was going to call it five smooth stones, linking them to the whole David and Goliath thing, but I realized that's six of them, so that doesn't fit. But anyway, let's keep going with that kind of idea. There's some things that we need to bring into 2022. Some basic, some foundational things that no matter what comes this year, because we don't know what's going to happen this year, but we do know that these six things, I believe, will help us navigate through whatever lies ahead. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 of 1 Samuel 17. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. This is 1 Samuel 17. The previous chapter, you'll be shocked to find out, is 1 Samuel 16. And in 1 Samuel 16, something significant happens. 
The prophet Samuel arrives at Jesse's house and he says, I want to anoint one of your sons. And remember, you know the story. All the sons come out, no, 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 no. Is that it? Well, there's one other wee one that's kind of insignificant. He's unimportant. He's out in the field. Bring him, bring him, anoint him with oil. He's going to be the next king of Israel. So David, the the unimpressive, the overlooked kid, is anointed as the next king of the nation of Israel. There's only one problem. Israel already has a king. He's called Saul. And he is not planning on taking early retirement anytime soon. So how is God going to get this unknown shepherd boy from obscurity to where everyone knows him? How is he going to take him from the pasture to the palace? Because he's not known. Everyone knows Saul. So how is God going to position this young shepherd boy who nobody knows, who sits in a field with stinking sheep, how is God going to take him and put him on the throne? Only God can do that. And we're going to walk through, we're going to talk through how he does that. But you know where the, 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 the most significant transition in that journey takes place? In the valley here. In the valley of Ella. And I have found something else in my life that most of the significant changes and transitions in my life haven't taken place on the mountaintop. They take place in the valley. Have you found that? When we talk about a valley, we mean the low place in our lives. We talk about the barren place, the difficult place. We talk about it being a place that we don't want to, even though I walk through the valley, we want to go through the valley. But what I have discovered is this, that God does things in the valley that he never does on the mountaintop. That God does things in me in the valley that he doesn't do on the mountaintop. And that very often it's in the valley that God changes me. God squeezes stuff out of me that he has placed inside me. Sometimes it's in the crushing and the squeezing that the juice comes out. The pressure has a purpose, and it's in the valley very often of our lives. And I don't like the valley. I'm not saying, we don't go looking for valleys. We don't go looking for obstacles. We don't go looking for opposition. But here's what I have discovered. In the opposition of the obstacles, God often places an opportunity. In the problem, he places promotion. In the low places, he elevates us. In the, in the, uh, Adversity, he brings advancement. In the battle, he brings blessings. The places that we want to avoid are very often the places where God does his greatest work because in the valley, we tend to see reality more clearly than we have. The valley forces us to make choices that we've been reluctant to make. And I think some of us need to understand that the valley you're trying to get out of, there's a work God wants to do in that valley in your heart, in your life. And until that work is complete, you can't come out of it because there's good stuff in the valley that he has for you. My friend Alan Scott up at the Causeway Coast when he was there, he used to use this illustration. And I noticed Wurzel Gummidge is back on TV again. Has anybody noticed that? I noticed that this week. We have been trying to explain over the la- about six months ago what Wurzel Gummidge was to Elijah. And now he's back. It's a scarecrow. It's basically a terrible program about a scarecrow. Um, but here's the thing about a scarecrow. A scarecrow is designed to scare. Thank you. Thank you, responsive congregation. A scarecrow has only one purpose. Scarecrows. 
And it only does its job because crows are stupid. For a smart crow, a scarecrow is an advertisement. Because you only put a scarecrow in a field where there's fruit. So if you're a smart crow and you see a scarecrow, you know what you say, guys? This is where the good stuff is. And the valleys in our lives and the difficulties and the obstacles and the challenges and the battles in our lives, as much as we try to avoid them and we don't pursue them and we try to get out of them, very often that's where the good stuff is. That's where the things that actually change our lives are. And that's what we're going to find with David the most transitional turning point of his life happened in a valley, but he had no idea that's what was going to take place. And I have six things I want to say this morning, six basic things, and I'm going to go through them quickly. But six keys I want you to take into 2022 from this story. And the first one is this, be faithful in the small things. Be faithful in the small things. Look at verses 17 to 20 with me. Now Jesse said to his son David, take an ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Fighting might be an overstatement as we'll see. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. Now, I have to be honest, if I had been David here, and he asked, and dad called me in and said, will you be the messenger boy? Will you take the cheese sandwiches down to your brothers? I would have said, dad, I think that's a great idea, but were you not here the other day when Samuel was here? Look at the oil on my jacket. I am anointed the next king of Israel, you know. So I know that that's the sort of thing I would have done a few weeks ago, but that is a little bit menial for me right now because I have kingship all over me. That's not what David did. As soon as David is anointed king of Israel, look where he is. He's back with the sheep. He's back in the mundane. He's back doing the most ordinary. In fact, one of the lowest jobs you could do. Why? Because David knew that before he could get to greatness, service was the priority. That for God, big things come from small things. And he never saw himself above being a servant. One of the things, you know, we talk about discovering your destiny in the church and going for greatness and all this stuff. And all of that stuff's great. But in God's kingdom... All of that comes from serving. In God's kingdom, we go high by getting low. In God's kingdom, it's not about the platform, it's about being on your knees. And my fear is that we have started to develop, and not this church, I mean the church in a broader sense, of a bunch of people who want the limelight, but they've never been on their knees in the dark room. And God wants us to be a people who never forget humility who never forget how important the small things are. David's a shepherd boy. Not only is he a shepherd boy, he's a faithful shepherd boy. He spends his day looking after the sheep. 
He cleans them. He washes them. When some, another animal comes, he protects them. When his dad sends them to his brothers, what does he do? He finds another shepherd to look after them. He's faithful in the small that God has given him. And if you can't be faithful in the small, God will never trust you with anything else. If you can't be faithful with what you're earning right now, why would God give you more money? If you can't be faithful with the car you have, why would God give you a better car? If you can't be faithful with your house you have, why would God give you a better house? We are faithful with what he has placed into our hands. And as we are faithful, God sees our faithfulness and he thinks, I can do something with that guy or that girl. You see, you see me up here, and I've said this before, week after week. But what you don't see is this 18-year-old getting on a train and a bus and walking two miles to speak in Ballymena Academy to a bunch of students who didn't want to listen to me, walking two miles back to the train and the bus, going home again and paying for the whole thing myself as a poor student. God is looking for people who will be faithful when nobody's looking. In obscurity. David, day by day in the wilderness, was just faithful. And God saw his heart and said, there is a man after my own heart. I can do something with that kid. Be faithful with what God has put in your hand. Be faithful with what God has put in front of you. Mark 9.35 says this, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. David doesn't ask, you know, how does this fit into my future? I've got big dreams, I'm going to be king. That's not what he worries about. All David asks is this, Dad, what do you want me to do? And I let God sort out how he gets me to where he wants me to be. But I will be faithful. And when you're faithful in the small things, you don't have to force things. You don't have to posture. You don't have to self-promote. You don't have to manipulate, cajole, jockey for position. You just have to be faithful and let God direct your steps. Because he can get you where he needs you to be, when he needs you to be there. But he needs you to be faithful with where you are now. There's nothing wrong with having ambitions. There's nothing wrong with having dreams. There's nothing wrong with having goals. But the way God gets us there is when we're faithful here. Faithfulness attracts the favor of God. And the favor of God can do more in five minutes than your effort can do in a lifetime. God's favor has opened doors for me that I could never open. God's favor has done things in my life that I could never, ever have worked for or planned for or anticipated or forced. But God's favor opens doors. God's favor brings you into places that you would never have imagined you've been in. But it starts with faithfulness. Most of life is not up here on a platform. Most of life is in the mundane and the ordinary and the obscurity and the unseen. And it says we're faithful there. It says in the Bible that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth looking for someone who is faithful. When you're faithful in the small, it's a big deal to God. Look what happens when David is faithful. He's no idea what he's about to step into. Look at verses 20 to 23. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to the battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking to them, Goliath, 
The Philistine champion from Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. What's the chances? David arrives at the battle lines just at that very moment Goliath steps out. If he had been 10 minutes earlier, it would have been a different story. But God knows how to get you where he needs to get you when he needs to get you there. But it's about being faithful in the small things. Because most of the doors that God wants to bring you through will not look attractive on this side. Most of the doors that God has brought me through in my life were not appealing on this side. But when I get to the other side, I see that God has got something really good there for me. God is drawn to faithfulness. That's my first point. My second one is this. Be careful what you consume. Be careful what you consume. I'm not going to ask who's gone on a diet for the new year. I'm sure some of you decided to do a diet for 2022, but then decided I'll start on Monday. Don't want to ruin my weekend. And we are conscious about what we consume. We're conscious about what we put into our bodies. But what about what we put into our minds? What about what we consume in our brains? You know, we wear masks to protect what we breathe. What about, I think we just need big head masks right now to protect what goes into our minds. Because for the last two years, we have had negativity, we have had death, and we have had sickness spoken over our lives day after day after day. Goliath does exactly the same with the Israelites. For 40 days and 40 nights, this big oaf comes out and he, he, he starts speaking uh, negativity. He starts declaring that he is going to destroy them. He, he starts declaring death over them. And can you imagine, I mean, day one, I'm sure they were a bit nervous. Day four, they're, you know, he's starting to look a bit bigger. By day 40, this guy looks absolutely huge. Because they have fed their minds day after day, morning and night on his words. And whatever you feed your mind on begins to affect your heart and begins to get worked out into your life. Out of the heart flow the issues of life. That's what it says in Proverbs 23. And day after day, Goliath looks bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and indestructible. And was he dangerous? Yes, he was dangerous. Let's be honest. But was he indestructible? No. As we're going to see when David comes along, spoiler alert, he's not as indestructible as everybody thinks. You see, the enemy loves to come along and feed your mind with lies. And you know what most of, of, of those sentences begin with, those lies begin with? What if? What if you never get better? What if your marriage is never healed? What if you never get a job? What if you never overcome this addiction? What if this is just the way your life is going to be? What if that test result comes back and the worst is what happens? What if? And the enemy loves to fill our minds with fear and he loves to fill our minds with intimidation and he loves to make himself look bigger than he is. That is one of the greatest weapons of the enemy, to make him look big and God look small. And when the opposite is true, this is not, we do not, we are not in a spiritual battle where it's, God, it's not dualism, it's not God against the devil. That is not the battle we are in. It is God with a created angel who fell. And one day he's going to be thrown into a lake of fire. But we have fed our minds on so much negativity. 
we have fed our minds in so much fear. And, and you know, I, I'm not saying don't watch the news. I do watch the news. I watch the news. I read the news on my phone every day. But I do not let the news dictate or direct my life. There's nothing wrong with knowing what's going on. That's a good thing. But do not let that direct your life. I've discovered in the last two years the times that I have felt most low, most discouraged, and even most despairing is when I have focused more on the news rather than what God says, rather than on the character of God, rather than on the future he has spoken over me, rather than on his goodness and his faithfulness and his glory and his holiness. I'm not denying reality, but there's a greater reality. There's nothing wrong with uh, facts. I'm not ignoring the facts, but there's a truth that is greater than the facts. For two years, we have been told every day how many infections and how many deaths there have been. But the last time I checked, Jesus was not about death. He was about life. He wasn't about infection. He was about healing. He wasn't about despair. He was about hope. And for every one minute I spend on the BBC app, I need to spend 10 minutes feeding my mind on other stuff. Because what we feed our minds on begins to affect our lives. They've done research that something like 67 to 92% of this illnesses begin in our minds. We need to protect our minds. You can tell a lot about somebody's diet by looking at them. And I can tell a lot about what people are consuming when I talk to them. Because what goes in comes out. Remember the old thing you learned in computers in school? Giggle. Garbage in, garbage out. You cannot feed your mind on negativity and garbage all day long and expect positivity and life to flow out. Be careful what you consume. Number three, remember who you are and whose you are. Remember who you are and whose you are. Verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David arrives on the scene in verse 26 and he immediately, these are the first words recorded from David anywhere in scripture. We have heard about David in previous chapters. These are the first words that he says and he immediately brings God into the equation. For 26 verses, we've heard about Goliath. We've heard about their fear. Not once in chapter 17 has God been mentioned yet. But David arrives on the scene and he is so consumed with God. His mind and his heart are so focused and filled with the life and the presence of God that he immediately brings God into the situation. And look at what he says to them. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He tells them, you're not just any old army. You're the army of the living God. But the problem is this. You've forgotten who you are and you've forgotten whose you are. And therefore you're facing this obstacle. You're facing this giant as if you're anybody else. But you're not anybody else. You're the people of the living God. And I want to say, church, we need to remember who we are and we need to remember whose we are. We are not a statistic, we are saints. We are the people of God, cleansed in the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, with a purpose and a destiny and a Savior and a King who is Lord of heaven and earth. 
We've forgotten who we are and we've forgotten who we are. I had a prophetic dream about six months ago. And I don't have a lot of prophetic dreams. Becky has 43 every night. I, I don't, which is not listening to me snore. Um, but... But I had a prophetic dream about six months ago, and I know it was prophetic because I, I woke up immediately and I wrote it down, and I knew there was. And in the dream, I was, I was in a room or a house, and it was our house, but it was attached to a church. And as I as I was in the house, I was watching two guys break into the house and the church. That so was all kind of one. And they were looking for my passport. They were trying to steal my passport, and I shouted at them, and they ran away. And I said, God, what was that about? And he said, well, what is your passport? I said, it's my identity. He said, the enemy is trying to steal your identity. He's trying to make you forget who you are and whose you are. And he's been doing the same for the church. Most of the church in the last two years has looked exactly like the world. We have responded like the world. We have had the same conversations as the world. We are different. We're Christians. We're the people of the living God. We've forgotten who we are and we've forgotten whose we are. I am not a passive victim. I am a Holy Spirit empowered, blood bought part of God's kingdom. I am called, I am chosen, I am loved, and I have purpose. And I am not like the world. I don't talk like the world. I don't think like the world. Why? Because I'm part of an other kingdom. Most of the church has been living in survival mode and God is wanting to bring us into revival mode. But we're too busy hiding behind the doors, just hoping that all of the nasty stuff out there goes away. And God is saying, you know what? You belong to Jesus Christ and that changes how you live. Remember who you are and who you are. Next point, choose your battles. I'm not going to read it all, but we know David arrives down at the battle line and his older brother immediately starts to attack him, starts to criticize him, starts to, 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 uh, to tell him that he's only there because he's got an evil heart. He's only there to watch the battle. And look at what we read. I love what David just says. Now what have I done, said David. Can't I even speak? Isn't that a real brother thing to say? Now what have I done, can't I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. When you don't go with the flow, when you step up or step in to do anything remotely significant for the kingdom of God, there will always be opposition. Always, without exception. And I can handle opposition from out there because I expect the world to hit the church. Jesus says you will be hated. But you know what I've discovered? Most of the opposition and most of the criticism comes from the people of God. We're the only army in the world that loves to shoot our own. We score more own goals than any other team. And we are so distracted with fighting each other that we've forgotten who the real enemy is. Imagine if David had looked at his brother Eliab and got really upset and taken the sling out slowly. Well, fun to watch, wouldn't it? You know what's going to happen. Eliab didn't. He takes the sling out and 
smacks a lie of his brother around the head and knocks him down. The end of the story would have been very different, folks. But you know what it says David did? He turned away. He turned away. Why? Because he realized that there was a real battle to fight, and the battle wasn't with his brother. The battle was against the real enemy. And if you get distracted fighting battles with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and how the enemy is having a failed day right now with all of this carry on, church all fighting each other about this and that and vaccines and password, all that, you know. Folks, they're not the real enemy. The real enemy is called Satan and he has blinded the minds of unbelievers and there's people in this community who don't know Jesus, but the church is too busy talking about, are you two meters apart? Are you wearing your mask? Who cares if there's people going to hell? Eternity lasts a long time, folks. I'm not minimizing COVID at all. I'm really not. But what I am saying is we are fighting the wrong battles. The real battle is against the real enemy. It is not against our brothers and sisters who think differently than us. You will be criticized. But I love what, just as he turned away, he didn't allow the offense to get into his heart. And at the start of 2022, can I say, do not allow offense to get into your heart. I have lived with offense at times in the past and it has sucked the life out of me and it has not led me down anywhere good. And maybe you have offense. Maybe somebody has done something, said something, hurt you in some way. I want to say to you, release that offense because it's like drinking poison and expecting them to die. It only hurts you. And you will not enter into what God has for you if you're carrying offense. Your calling is too great to live offended. The hand of the Lord is too strongly upon you to live offended. Do not allow offense or criticism from others to distract you from what God has called you to. Second last point. Remember God's faithfulness. David talks about when he was a shepherd and he says this. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. As he faces this giant, a new giant, a giant he has never faced before, you know what David does? He looks back into his past. He looks back into his history with God. And he says, the same God who helped me fight the lion and the bear is the same God who will help me fight this giant right now. Yes, the enemy is different. Yes, the obstacle is different. But it's not that different. And God has been preparing me back here for this. And as we enter 2022, I typically say don't look back at the past. But the only reason we do look back at the past is to say he brought me through 2021. And he was faithful. And he brought me through 2020. And he was faithful. And he brought me through that loss. And he was faithful. And he brought me through that grief. And he was faithful. And he brought me through that heartache. And he was faithful. And the same God who was faithful there is the same God who is faithful today. And so I can pull his faithfulness from the past into the present. And that can give me hope and courage for the future. When I... I'm facing anything in my life that feels insurmountable, that feels overwhelming. You know what I do? I remember the last time I faced it. And it might have been slightly different, but God was faithful. When I'm worried about money, I tell myself the stories of when God provided for me. When I'm worried about health, I tell myself the stories of when God brought me through sickness and disease. The God who has been faithful is the God who will be faithful. For he is a covenant-keeping God. It is his nature to be faithful to 
his people. Remember God's faithfulness. I'm going to keep going here because I'm nearly done. The last point. Speak faith. The last thing I think we need to do, no matter what happens in 2022, is this. We need to be a people who speak faith. Look at what David says. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I'll cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. If this was anyone else, it would sound cocky. He would sound like an arrogant wee so-and-so. But David is so filled with confidence in his God that he prophesies, he declares up front exactly what he's going to do. And you know what the amazing thing is? God backs him up. God backs him up. There's something about that audacious spirit that God looks at him and says, that's the sort of kid I'm going to back up. And exactly it happens as David prophesies it's going to happen. He does knock him down. He does cut off his head. And they do defeat the Philistines. What a cocky wee boy. No, what a boy who was filled with the word of God, with the knowledge of God, with the presence of God, with the character of God, with the power of God, knowing that any enemy that comes against him is not just coming against him, it is coming against the God who is with him. And so he speaks. He speaks. And his words become his reality. The last two years have been filled with words of fear and faith. And you know, there's so many people I meet, and maybe some of you are here today, and I, I ask, how did you find us? And they said, at the start of the pandemic, as most of us were church surfing on YouTube or Facebook, I said, I was going through church after church, and it was negative. It was death. It was disease. It was infection. And then I tuned into you. And you were speaking hope. And you were speaking faith. And you were speaking life. And you were reminding us who we were and who God is. And I don't say this arrogantly. I really, truly don't. But they said, that's why I kept listening. Because I had 167 hours of death and negativity every week. And I needed one hour where somebody was speaking life and hope and faith in the living God. And sadly, much of the church has just echoed the NHS in the last year or two years. Folks, we are not bureaucrats and we are not politicians. We are a prophetic people who declare not what the government always says, but what the Word of God says. We are not politically correct, we're prophetically direct. And our job is not to parrot what the he- and this isn't, this isn't being negative about the health minister, okay? But our job is not to parrot what he says. Our job is to declare who God is. Our job is to declare faith. Our job is to declare the nature, the character, the power, the healing, the presence of the living God into a hopeless society. And again, it's not about burying your head in the sand. It's not about ignoring reality. It's about living according to a greater reality. And this is the reality that I have chosen to live with over the last two years. That there is a God in heaven who rules in absolute authority 
complete supremacy and total sovereignty. He has not abdicated his throne, nor has he vacated his throne. And all things, all of history and humanity are moving irreversibly towards the feet of Jesus Christ. And I am part of his kingdom, and I am filled with the supernatural spirit, and I have a glorious future whether I live or I die. That is the reality I choose to live by. I'm not diminishing. We've had COVID. It wasn't nice. It wasn't pleasant. It was nasty. It was horrible. I'm not diminishing that. I'm saying that is a reality, but there's a greater reality. And that is God who rules over all. David saw what everyone else saw. He just saw it through a different lens and a different perspective. He saw the big giant, but he saw a great God. And so he chose to speak faith and he chose to speak victory and he chose to speak life where everyone else was speaking fear and defeat and death. And that speaking became a prophetic declaration that God backed up. Let me ask you as I close, what are you speaking over your life this year? What are you declaring over your family? What are you prophesying over your future? What are you speaking over your finances? What are you declaring over your children? What are you speaking over your home? Are you speaking life? Are you speaking abundance? Are you speaking what God says in his word? Or is it, oh, I'm just getting by, I suppose. I'll see what God. No, declare the word of God. Declare the blessing of God. I do, I know I tell you, I'm like a broken record. I do this every morning of my life. I declare the blessing of God over my home, my family, my future, this church, my books, my finances, my ministry, all of it. I declare the blessing of God over it. And you know what? I have seen the blessing of God show up again and again. Have I had a perfect life? No. But I have seen God's blessing in a way that is beyond what I had seen before I started doing that. This is not magic. This is not positive thinking. This is not hocus pocus. This is the word of God in the mouth of a son, of daughter of God. And God says, I'm going to back up my word. Life and death, Proverbs says, are in the power of the tongue. And we live in a culture called a cancel culture where they're trying to censor voices. Why? Because words matter. If they can shut down words, they can change the narrative. I want to tell you your words matter. What you speak over your life, over this year, over your family and over your future actually really matter much more what you think they do. And it's not regurgitating the media. It's not regurgitating the BBC. It's not declaring what the government said. It's declaring what God says until you see what he says. I have no idea what 2022 holds. I think there's going to be more turbulence, sorry to tell you. I think there's going to be more turmoil. I think we'll get to grips with COVID. But how many of you know that before 2020, we also had a few issues? I think we were going to see conflict. I think we're going to see a squeeze in terms of the economy. But actually, I have no idea what 2022 holds, but here's what I'm going to do. I can't control what happens out there, but I can control what I do in here. And I can choose to be faithful in the small things. And I can be careful with what I consume. And I can remember who I am and whose I am. And I can choose my battles. And I can remember God's faithfulness. And I can speak faith. Because there will be battles and bruises. There will be obstacles and opposition. And there will be changes and challenges. But you know what? I serve a God who has fought many battles and he has never lost a battle yet. He's never lost a battle. 
and he's not going to start in 2022. Let me tell you a story. I hadn't planned this, and I was talking about it earlier. There's some stories you can only tell later on. Do you know what I mean? There's some stories that you kind of need to leave for a year or two. This is one of them. This time last year, I was preaching up here just like this. And I looked down to the back of the church and there were four large figures, dark black, dark figures. And I thought, is that four angels? And no, it was four PSNI officers who had been called because apparently we were breaching regulations. No, we weren't. We were just doing church legally. And they stood there and I'm preaching. <laughs> that was fun. I didn't alter call and they all came forward. No, it didn't. Um, come to Jesus. But thankfully, one of our trustees was at the back and he chatted to them and they were going by the regulations from a few weeks before and they actually emailed me later and apologized and said there'd be no more bother. Well, I had two more calls from the police in the next three weeks from people reporting us for breaking regulations. And I knew we hadn't broken regulations. Same, it got to to the stage where at Constable O'Hare on speed dial. Her and I are like that now. She's coming on holidays with us this year. Um, but the third one, she phoned me, actually, it was just as the service was about to start one Sunday morning. And she said, I've been told that you're in breach of regulations. Somebody had reported us again. And it was a midweek. We had, the worship team had been in practice and we made a management team meeting and we hadn't broken any regulations. And she said, I believe you have and I'm going to report you to the next stage is environmental health. And I just said, that's fine. Do whatever you've got to do. She said, they'll be in touch tomorrow. It's fine, no problem. Police were just doing their job. I have no issue whatsoever. They were so polite and so kind. Um, so the next morning, 10 o'clock, I'm at home. And 10 a.m., the phone rings, such and such here from Environmental Health. How are you? Not too bad. Craig, I just want to, first of all, let you know that you haven't broken any regulations. That's great to know. Secondly, I've been watching you every week and I'm, I'm loving your, your teaching series on Daniel at the minute. And thirdly, keep doing what you're doing. You're not going to have any more problems from us. And we didn't. We make our plans, but the Lord orders our steps. What's the chances of that landing on a desk of somebody who watches us every week? When you're faithful, God will do what only he can do. Our job is not to try and figure out all that's going to happen this year. Our job is just to be faithful to him. To walk in a humility, to walk in obedience, to serve, to speak faith, and to bring life wherever we go.